0: You know, I just think one of the questions is just to notice what is at the center of this culture. Um, I mean, this is one of the ideas I use in my work around... Uh, it actually comes from the idea of Buddhist mandalas, which are these sort of geometric forms, and, and what's at the center kind of radiates out and determines a whole, whole world, if you like. In, in a way, you could say it's a bit like Eastern systems thinking. So the question of what's at the center is actually a very good question to ask. And, you know, one could ask it in one's own life, what, what am I really putting at the centre? You know, not what I say, but if I look at my how I spend my time. What's at the centre? Because that is kind of creating your world. But if you look at if you look at what's going on in the world, well we have put a few ideas, you know, fairly shoddy ideas. Maybe they were useful at a certain point. Maybe one or two of them were useful after the Second World War or after the First World War, or, you know, about counting certain things and making certain numbers bigger and we put you put a few numbers at the at the centre, and everything else kind of clusters around that. And before you know it, here you go—you've got industrial growth society, and it does what it's intended to do very well. It's just there's a whole load of concerns and questions that just get shoved to the edge. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by the idea of what what could. Uh, future society or a more integrated society look like. And it would it would absolutely have that. The school system would be different. You know, you wouldn't be having politicians and policymakers say, well the purpose of the school system is to create a workforce. They would be saying the purpose of education is to create, you know, integrated, healthy, wise, compassionate human beings. Well you put that in the centre and everything would start to reconfigure.
1: You're listening to the Spaceship Earth Podcast with me, Dan Burgess. Hello, folks. Thanks for tuning in. It's uh, Dan here. Uh, This is episode 34, where I'm in conversation with Tim Maunick. Now, first up, apologies for the great pause in uh, the podcast episodes. Uh, Not the the reflections from the great pause, which is this little mini series of um, episodes that I've released during the lockdown. But just generally, the momentum has kind of... um, has ground to a halt uh, for the last four weeks now mainly being because I slipped a disc in my neck four weeks ago which with without doubt has probably been the most painful thing I've ever experienced um, a sort of surreal kind of pain and just the inability to move basically uh, so that was interesting uh, the first couple of weeks were were somewhat pharmaceutically blurry um, and very, very painful, but um, I just haven't really been able to do anything. But I'm starting to get back to to movement and moving around, and um, yeah, keen to start getting the old episodes out again. So weirdly, as well, actually, this, the, the the where I tend to record and edit uh, podcasts when I'm at home, so I have a studio in my garden, and weirdly, the internet. In my studio also kind of broke just just about the same, just literally before the neck the disc went in the neck so I think maybe maybe the universe was telling me to you know just like slow down which I've had to do which has been a whole nother thing I could probably do a podcast episode on that actually anyway here I am I hope you're well um, We are in uh, early June and um, yet again the world is um, sort of the unravelling continues to accelerate around um, us or at least appears to be. Um, I'm not going to speak to that at this moment um, because I'd like to do more on what is happening right now um, and everything that's been happening with Black Lives Matter but that deserves some intentional focus which i'm not able to do justice in this moment i want to just get out now some of the episodes that i recorded um back in may all of which i believe uh, are exploring themes and ideas which are um connected and related to what we're witnessing right now in the world um and the oppression that we're really starting to uh, see uh, be revealed um as Uh, listeners who listen regularly will know that, you know, I'm a total believer in in, interbeing and interconnectedness, and that all these crises we see and all the violence we see in both the human world and the non-human world are intimately interconnected. And so um, I think some of these themes, some of these episodes uh, coming up will will touch on things which are absolutely speaking to uh, what is going on right now. So this one, let's get to it. This one was recorded in May. now, Tim is—he's uh, an agent of change. He's a coach, a facilitator. He works kind of on a personal level, organizationally, and sort of, sort of seeing the sort of wider system of change. Um, he is a Buddhist student and teacher, and in his words, he's a recovering ex-politician, local politician. Um, He was um, a core faculty member at Ashridge Business School um, and he was a core uh, member of the teaching team on the Masters in Sustainability and Responsibility, which is actually where I met him 10 years ago when I did that Masters. Now that programme was described um, by Harvard Business Review as sort of path-breaking and transformative and maintained a international reputation for transforming people's thinking and doing and allowing them to act more creatively and courageously for change within their professions, organisations, and paths. And, and for me, certainly, this was a catalyst for the change in in my life in 2009 when I took part on this two-year program. And Tim was my tutor. Um, he's also author of this amazing book called *The Crystal Mirror*, which is a collection of short stories um, for kids and adults, which has a kind of fairy tale-like approach to the stories um, but they're very much again about the themes of sort of learning change and development that you that Tim really practices throughout his work Um, and a lot of his stuff and even these stories were about this kind of the, the sort of nature of change and how discovery comes from letting go and how change is very often about acknowledging who and what we already are and basically Tim has this kind of core belief that sort of runs through his work is that individually and as a culture We're waking up to this realisation that our current patterns of work, organisation, business are unwittingly contributing to the ecological, social and economic crises that we're facing Um, and how many people in all types of different organisations struggle with this kind of balance of how to inverted commas, make a living uh, with their own kind of sense of values and this kind of deep longing for for work that is kind of meaningful, which is contributing to kind of a wider flourishing of culture and society and planet. Um, And um, one, if you can check out Tim's work, I'll reference it all in the show notes, but um, uh, his work through his different space uh, platform. And one of the threads that Tim's been exploring for many years is around our relationship with money. Um, and he has been developing kind of workshops and practices and tools to help people unpick and understand their personal relationship with money and how often we see money as the core of our problems and also the sort of barrier, if you like, to our kind of dreams. And it's fascinating work, well worth checking out, and Tim offers all kinds of workshops around this under the title of Your Money or Your Life. Right, let's cut to it. This is episode 34 of the Spaceship Earth podcast with Tim Malnick. Enjoy. So, Tim, welcome to the Spaceship Earth podcast.
0: Hi, Dan. Hi. <laughs>
1: It's, um, it's uh, we're using Zencaster technology here, which is, this is the first time. So we're, um, you're, um, you're definitely, you know, there's a, there's a whole new experiment going on. It looks, on it looks very
0: impressive on my screen anyway. <laughs> Every time one of us talks, uh, some purple lines come up, so... Yeah L- well,
1: let's, let's let's hope it sounds good for for everyone else <laughs> while they listen to this and let's hope
0: what we talk about is interesting as well yes
1: so, yeah. yeah i'm i'm sure i'm sure we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll get some some level of interest occurring and um so we are where are we we're in we're in may um it always takes me probably a couple of weeks to get these things out it's it's, uh, it's the 7th of may we're in um
0: i don't know what
1: week it is now of sort of this lockdown scenario um and um before i guess we get into you know a bit about well getting a lot about the kind of um the work you're doing um and i'm always really intrigued and my listeners always intrigued to understand a bit more about the you know the context the stories of of my guests and you know what has what has the journey been to get them to do the work they're doing right now so that's what i want to i want to dig into but um just because we 're in this sort of slightly crazy pandemic scenario, how are you feeling today so it 's a nice place to start
0: you mean you mean with the crazy pandemic um, i mean yeah,
1: what does, what's, what, what is,
0: how, how, how are you sort of showing up right now always keen to know well uh, i 'm in this i mean you know practically i 'm relatively all right i think i 'm one of the lucky ones right i 've got a roof over my head i haven 't lost my job i 've got food so one of the things I've been thinking about the whole this situation is it's really exacerbating inequalities, right? Um so personally I'm okay. Uh my my work's still interesting. Um I'm appalled by our government, but um nothing new there. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's not really new. Um I mean I think it's interesting how I think certain people are being found out you know during the crisis so I, I'm trying not to consume too much media mm. because it enrages me and I'm not sure it's helpful so I limit I'm actually been limiting uh, apart from the first week or two of the lockdown I've consciously had to limit my media intake which I think is good.
1: Yeah that's an, um, that in itself is a, <clears throat> it's an interesting discipline isn't it practice because I, I sort of yeah we have been trying to do that yeah failing miserably at times and yeah getting into a rhythm of it and feeling really good and
0: yeah it's it is i mean we might talk about that later because one of the yeah. things i do is i run online retreats i think you know and so we mm. talk a lot about boundaries and how you put boundaries into daily life to support the sort of consciousness i guess that you're at least aspiring to um it you know' it doesn't, it's not easy for me either, but I, but it does make a difference mm. so let's we won't necessarily talk too much about politics. I think the other thing to, you know how I'm showing up is um, and I'm guessing maybe you're similar and a lot of people who might have been on the podcast i I haven't felt very freaked out by this, and I think that what happens is if you've lived with um, you know, my entire adult life and, and in some ways even earlier for whatever reason, I have definitely had, I've lived with a sense that what people called normal, modern, progressive society was just a kind of a fairly wobbly, <laughs> ramshackle veneer that that could and probably would collapse at almost any point. And, and maybe that sounds flippant to say it, but it is actually true, you know, maybe when I mm. say a bit more about my story and why I'm doing mm. what I'm doing. And I think that... Again, people who are working in climate change or who've been following various things going on in the world, you know that's not to say there isn't tragedy in the pandemic, and and there's all sorts of things. but I find myself more interested in what will how will this play out in the medium long term, and what are the possible scenarios where things that are starting to happen now turn out either more or less positively or negatively? um so I, i'm quite interested in that i'm not yeah. personally overly affected or freaked out by the actual pandemic at this point and and
1: so on that because yeah. you're i mean you you have been you're someone that does you know as as i find increasingly more people that have you know you have quite a lot to your to your work yeah. you you know you coach you facilitate
0: yeah
1: that you do that on a sort of personal level as well as a sort of organizational level a lot of your all your work is effectively around change. Oh, yeah. And you're a practitioner, you're a Buddhist practitioner and you're, I mean, you've dabbled in politics, you've written books, uh, you're a dad. And also like you've, I mean, you know, I met you, my original practitioner, yeah. as a, as a, you know, you were a, a key guide and tutor to one of the most progressive sort of, sustainability master's programs that this country I think ever
0: produced right yeah I remember I remember meeting you very well I remember our conversation we were sitting on a bench in that courtyard uh, and that was Ashridge Business School that's right I
1: remember it very well yeah so you've been surrounded really by I mean you've been sort of immersed in sort of life and change and how things are sort of shifting constantly and um, can you tell us a bit about you know just for those that won't know your work and you and just a little bit about that that journey that you've you've been on that sort of brings you to this time
0: yeah um i mean i could go way back Um, go as far as you want well you know it's funny i will share two stories from my childhood um partly because a whole body of psychology that i've got really interested in at the moment pays a lot of attention to kind of uh key childhood experiences, often they've just mm. got a kind of a quality or things you remember and not in a negative way, almost, almost like they're often seeds, little seeds or little clues or breadcrumbs in, mm. in, in odd things you remember about childhood. Uh, and we could talk about that loads yeah, later, on. right? Let's, let's um, and so when I think about my story, uh, just two, two things from when I was, uh, must have been about eight, seven or eight, it was the Queen's Jubilee. So what was that, 1976, 77? Mm. And I heard on the radio that the the ex-King of Greece had presented the Queen with some amazing gold thing. I don't know what it was. And I told my mum I was going to make a present for the Queen. And I have no idea why I did this. I have no idea why this is what I did. But I made her a little story. I made a story and I illustrated it. And it was about a woodcutter whose job was to cut down all the trees... And then he decided one day he didn't want to cut trees anymore. So he stopped doing that and he started planting trees. I have no idea why I did that. But somehow <laughs> I remember that story and I sent that off to the Queen. Um, and then a year later or whatever, it was 1979. And we had, it was, it was uh, Margaret Thatcher time, right? I think mm. it was the first election she won. And again, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly interested in politics. And I remember, I must have been, yeah, about nine. We had a pretend election at school and again, for no reason I can possibly think of, I stood for the ecology party. And all I remember doing was <laughs> standing up in fits of giggles saying, we love bunny rabbits. <laughs> and that was it. So I say that because sometimes there are seeds there that mean, make mm. no sense. And you couldn't say where they come from. But then later on, you look back at your life and you go, well, that's a, that's a funny thing to have been doing. Um, so if I give a bit more quick up-to-date mm. history, I love that
1: uh, though. That's, that's got me thinking of seeds.
0: Yeah. yeah, well we could talk about it because if people yeah. listening to this, I mean you were saying before, um, you know, I think a lot of people are asking questions, right, about their lives and am I on the mm. path I want to be and how does my path connect with what's going on in the world and how do I how do I develop and individuate as a person but also respond to what's going on in the world. So that you know, that in a in a mm. nub is my work, right? Yeah, basically. And And you said an interesting thing. You said, you know, you work very with personal stuff and with organisation stuff, and that's true. And I even work, in a way, with kind of macro stuff about economics or different Mm. sectors. And the point is, in my mind, those aren't separate. Mm. So it's not like I think, oh, sometimes I do personal work and sometimes I'm doing organisational work. If I'm working with a person... You know, maybe some someone comes to me for personal you could call it life coaching or whatever. Mm. You know, for me the whole system's there, right? Their past, their ancestry, the choices they've made, what was or wasn't apparently possible for them. And also, even if you're working at their deepest personal level, everyone is part of what's going on right now. Everyone's part of a bigger thing. So for me, these two things are completely intertwined and I think that's the key to how I work and it's not just me there's there's many approaches like that but I think a big problem in if if you like the model that's got us to where we are has been people believed in the separation people actually believed there was personal and there was organizational there was emotional and professional so um yeah and so so much of that
1: I guess is exactly that is it's funny I mean it's sort of this um this, uh, the crisis of separation or the story yeah. of separation, as Charles Eisenstein would call it, but it's like this sort of, um, you know, at this moment right now, it's sort of again, it's in many ways, it's sort of, it's kind of screaming at us again, you know, sort of in terms of how, how, how might we respond from all of this? Will well, we respond in a, in a separate way again, you know, removed yeah. from all these, you know, or, or might we respond in a more integrated, joined up, interconnected way
0: well that's I mean, the opportunity isn't it um yeah and 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 let's see and, and you see both you see both at the moment and i will i will carry on briefly with the, mm. with the story but you, you know you do see both because you see all sorts of creative stuff happening for the people who've got some capacity and, and ability to do that right now which isn't everyone you see stuff about community you see all sorts of people a little bit in the bubble maybe that we're at thinking about what's possible but then there's a lot of um, you know, very conventional stuff as well, including the language about it's a war on the virus and you know, all of this sort of stuff. So I, I see all of these things going on mm-hmm. right now. And I'm more and more interested in, in my work and supporting people. Uh, a lot of the time it's almost like I'm thinking, what makes the difference to support someone to live the new story as fully and courageously as they can because I know there's so much that pulls us back to the old story, right? There's so much that pulls us back to believing in separation or a kind of linear cause and effect model of how things work. Uh, you know, and I'm very respectful of that. I think in my youth I was more against it or more, uh, had more animosity to it. And now I just understand there's this dance, right? There's like, and it's in us and it's in the world. There's, there is a new world, if you like, waiting to be born. And that could sound very grandiose, but that's as simple as each of us has something inside us that could be a a very new, fresh, creative way of living our own lives. And there is something that you might say pulls us back or appears to get in the way or seems to sound very convincing. And I I just see that dance going on everywhere. So it's in the pandemic, Mm. it's in the world, it's in you and me right now, it's in the choices we make. So that's kind of what I'm fascinated by. Um, tell us more about the, the
1: tell us more about the journey into this. Yeah, uh, you know because it's yeah. I, I love. I I mean I know you know I know some of your journey. Yeah. And, and what you must have experienced. By also to your point, but the, you know when I first met you in the in the master program, just the way that you work with so many people that are sort of facing into these things. So I'd yeah. love to know how that all that all happened.
0: Yeah. Well, there are sort of threads. Um, So, you know, I I had a fairly conventional middle class North London upbringing, Uh, loads to say about that, but in some way nothing (laughs) kind of that remarkable. I did a psychology degree at university. I had no idea what I wanted to study. I was going to study law because I was kind of into righteousness and fairness and <laughs> goodness. Yeah. And one of my teachers said, oh, no, don't do law. <laughs> uh, you're, I think you might enjoy psychology and philosophy. So, I, you know, I looked into it. I studied psychology. I mean, I had no sense at all of what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. Or I've never had a obvious career path. And in some ways, I've struggled. Did you know
1: how you wanted to be?
0: At that point, or were you? No, no, I no idea. No, no. and no. if I did, it would have been, you know, the product of a, you know, doing my best, confused, whatever, 17 year old. So, no, I don't. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, an inter- it's a really interesting question. I think if I, if I stop and just think of it a bit, no, I'd never really had any sense of a vision for my life, either outwardly in terms of career or even inwardly. But if I look back, and I wasn't always living it then, and not not even now, I do think something about you know what the Buddhists call basic goodness mm-hmm. has always been with me. In, in terms of fundamentally, my worldview is that, however screwed up things get, people are basically good deep down. I think that's mm-hmm. always been just to me self-evident. So it doesn't mean I wasn't you know angry and you know, a bit anti-establishment and pushing against all sorts of things, which I certainly was, and that's still with me with my activist stuff. But I think if you, if you said any vision of how I wanted to be, it wasn't about how I wanted to be, but I think, I think deep down I've always felt people are good. And then of course the question is how do we make such a mess of things? I think that has propelled me into my work. It's, it's like, and, and, and it does link with my work because fundamentally, although I work with, as you know, money and Therefore, some economic ideas and sustainability and some climate ideas i 'm not really an expert in any of those things. In the end, it does come down to a kind of a very deep faith in human nature and mm-hmm. um, that that i you know really and I still believe it to this day um, I think the fundamental human condition is that we are in essence deeply wise deeply connected, deeply kind. And, you know, we all manage to forget that a lot all the time and we create messes personally and in groups and organisations. So I'm not naive. But I guess if you asked me about that, that, that would have probably been, you know, a, a kind of a very vague semi-conscious sense at that time, really. I've always been very idealistic in that way. Hmm. Um, yeah, there's a, I guess
1: because that's the... I think, you know, and not that I'm any kind of um, uh, expert in, um, I guess, bringing more of our kind of whole selves and, li- you know, living in more presence, And but, but you always, always struck me as someone that was much more aware or sort of awake to the sort of sense of beingness, if that makes sense, um, in the moment. Um certainly, even like I remember uh coming into the masters programs, which maybe you could talk a little
0: bit about mm, how that yeah. came because I think it was such a such an interesting thing um yeah, I mean, it's nice that you say that i I don't necessarily have that sense of myself, but then you know i'm I'm aware of my own total <laughs> uh, you know capacity <laughs> to be confused and to not act from presence and you know and and I don't think i'm talking myself down it's possible in some ways that the more you practice the more you you know there is you yeah. you, you see your limitations so it's, maybe I, I was just
1: completely frazzled when
0: I <laughs> you could have been frazzled <laughs> or you could have been projecting onto the tutors you know it could have been all of these could have been all and maybe it was occasionally true for five minutes every day you know mm. um, anyway it, you know it doesn't matter it's nice and, and people do sometimes say that about me and it's it's kind of funny you know and but you know you're always working with your own edges anyway aren't you mm. um so, I talk about the masters. So, yeah, so look, I, I did a psychology degree. I'll go through this, I'll try and go through this quickly, and then we can yeah. always revisit bits. Um, I really didn't like psychology. It was, I mean, it was, at, you know, Oxford University, so called best university, or one of them. I found it totally frustrating, not satisfying. I couldn't articulate it at the time why. And I was a bit bullshit and a bit, you know, countercultural. Um, And the and the two most interesting bits of it were both through sort of young PhD students who were doing kind of wacky stuff. One was doing artificial intelligence and consciousness, and one was studying actually Rupert Sheldrake's work on morphic resonance. Mm -hmm. So it was really was, and I just kind of thought, you know, why is psychology so narrow? Why don't they ask the really interesting questions about who are we, and what is consciousness, and what's going on? So looking back, that was really helpful. Hmm. Because I'll carry on the psychology thing, but it's it, realizing I'd studied at you know one of the supposed great universities and found the whole thing somehow didn't stand up that well. Actually, supported what I went on to do. But I did a, I did a psychology degree. I then spent a few years with a, beginning another thread or two other threads in my life. This is post university. I had no no obvious career. Um, I was doing a lot of activism lot of creative stuff, performance, music, doing lots of festival stuff. And I guess I got exposed to broadly the counterculture. And this was in the early 90s. Mm. And that's when I connected with two other big strands in my life that have gone along with the psychology. Um, one is sustainability. So I learned about green issues and the planet and Gaia. And I studied permaculture, which is like sustainable design. And that was all kind of straight out of university. So in a way, I, I, had, yeah. I had the learning in the three years after university that I would have loved at university. I was suddenly opened up to all of this stuff. Um, I explored kind of psychedelics as one does at that time. Not, not massively, but it was definitely informative. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, And I also learned to meditate. And all of those things sort of happened in a few years. And again, I wasn't really aware of it because I've never had a clear yeah. particularly at that age of clear kind of vision. But looking back, it was like I was I was asking questions. And, and the questions I was asking is number one about, you know, who are we really and what is this really and what's going on? And I only realized, for me, it's when I connected with kind of some Buddhist teachings and the experience of meditation. I went, wow, you know, there are people who have been doing this for, well, hundreds, thousands of years, Who've actually understood something about the things that, you know, no one would even want to talk about (laughs) at Oxford University. So that was, was for me, connected me to the idea that experience is key, that working with your actual experience, your actual awareness is key, and that there are people in the world who know how to do this. That was a total revelation. (laughs) And then the other revelation at that time was, and this spoke to the kind of maybe the earlier teenage childhood thing, which was, you know what? There's something about how the world works. You know, we were we were quite well off. We were all right. It all seemed to be working, but kind of in my heart and soul, I knew mm. this this there's something not right about this. Mm. Something doesn't work, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then when I connected with, you know, sustainability and green ideas, it was like, yeah, the, again, these people have thought they they're beginning to explain why, even though it appears to work, our society and our economic industrial model doesn't work and for whatever reason those two things came together in my life at the same time something about deeply questioning you know what is it to be a human being and and to be alive at all and very deep personal stuff with the fact that by the way we're kind of making a mess of the world and no one's quite admitting it Mm. And, and I think that all went into my work and then in my late 20s I decided uh, probably, I do need something that looks a bit like a career. I mean, that was true, that was quite useful. I didn't want to just hang around with some very interesting kind of countercultural folk for, yeah. forever. A- and it, it was more than that. I wanted to, to step back in, I wanted to contribute, or I often think what I do is a bit of a translator yeah. or a storyteller that I bring stories or I bring possibilities from, as you said, kind of an edgy world or a, a marginal mm. world into the mainstream. Um, So I decided to train in organisation psychology, um, which was perfect because, as you know, it's like work psychology, psychology of human career, vocation, but also groups, teams, organisations. And I figured out if I do that, it will allow me to both go deep with people one to one and look at some of these big kind of global or macro questions. And more or less, that turned out to be true. So, So that's the work I do. And then, just to complete what you said, how, how we met, um, very early on on that path, I realized that most business psychologists or work psychologists are using their skills to support the mainstream view of business and work, and, and that's okay. You know they can help people a lot, but that just was not interesting for me. Mm. I didn't I had no interest in doing leadership development to just support you know more widgets or greater profit. Um, So I've always wanted to use my skills in service of people who are either exploring, who are saying, you know what, the model doesn't work or my model doesn't work. And and I want to make a greater contribution or I I want to align my work with my values, with what I really care about. So I call those people explorers. Um, And the other group I love to work with is pioneers. So they're people maybe a little further on on the journey who've been exploring, who said, you know what? this is what I stand for, you know, and maybe they've set up something new, maybe they set up some sort of enterprise or project, or maybe they've stayed in, in you know, very conventional roles, but they're showing up very differently, and they're really prepared to stick their necks out and, and lead again based on their, on their real values. So those are the people I love to work with. And that took me um, first to studying the programme that you were on, um, and then later I was invited to to be part of the, the staff team um and so i was with it I know, quite a long time 10 15 years i think so then i got yeah, to just, work with just, yes, yeah, and, can
1: you just can you just give a bit of that of, of what that you know that master was all about because I mean, a lot of people have no idea what that program was all about but it's someone that sure. was involved in it Fairly early on, and like you travelled with it for quite some time. I did, yeah. yeah, yeah. It'd be just fascinating for people to understand. Well, again, yeah, it, now it, it's like I'm just like, why, well, you know, God, you know, these at this time we're in now, it feels like a lot of folks wanting to, yeah, wanting to dive into this.
0: Well, in my cheeky tutor mode, I would say, Dan, why don't you describe what you think it is first, <laughs> and then I can. I mean, would you? Because it'd be nice. Because yeah. you you were on yeah. it, right? So yeah, why don't you? Like, could, could you yeah. sum up what you think this program was about from your oh side? Oh God, this is I. I find this like
1: so. I mean, you know, it was it, this 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 two years, which I can't. You know, you say oh, it was a master's program. Mm. And it it's like people go, oh, that's um, that's mm. interesting, well done, and stuff. And then you go, no, it was. <laughs> it's sort of like kind of like I've sort of never been the same since. and, and I don't mean that in a bad Well, I mean I don't I mean that in multiple ways, but you know, it's like. You know, it's like you get complete. It's like a complete unraveling of everything that you thought you knew, and um, and you know, it's an un, it was an unlearning experience. Yeah, yeah, which, that's right. But then, which enabled me. I mean, you know, without a doubt, it's played played such a big part in the journey I've been on in the last twelve yeah. years. I mean, there's no, you know, it's just I can't describe it enough to people. No. It is just you know, and I guess I was, you know, just quickly, I was, you know, I was, I went on that asking, I was asking, I was starting to ask some big questions, so I kind Mm. of knew that I was, I needed something that was going to offer some support to go in deeper into these, some of these questions that you're talking Mm. about, but the way of, the different ways of learning Mm. and exploring what is knowledge and, Mm. you know, um, that for me was the most some of the most profound stuff, as well as the, you know, the content was there. But it's actually yeah. more about the more about the how. Really, the process.
0: The process. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, I think and that's,
0: yeah. I think that's right.
1: yeah. And this inquiry based way of, of, of showing up, which has been yeah, I mean, that's become central to, to what I do. Um so yeah, I um <laughs> so yeah. And this fantastic network of of, yeah. of of people, which again, I'm curious about from your perspective, someone who has sort of yeah, you know, supported so many people through that journey yeah Um you must have experienced so much yeah um, well it was amazing w- yeah. sorry go on go on no that's it I'm just well sure. no you're right
0: you're right <laughs> I mean it's lovely to hear so then the first thing to say was I was on the program as a student first and then because of my connections with it and my existing skill set I I became staff so I've, I've done both and you know for mm. me it was just a wonderful experience as well there is something very special about it and um you, you know, as you know, you can't always break that down. So I think there was what I would call a lineage. I think there was something about what went into it and the people who've travelled along the journey. And, and, you know, I'm sure you've had people on the podcast who've been on it. There are some fantastic people doing amazing things and very different things in this whole space mm. who've been through that programme or connected with it. Um, it really is an amazing community. And I think you're right. What 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 makes it such a special community is... The vast majority of people on that programme. So the first thing to say for people who don't know, it was pretty much any age. Uh, We didn't take people just from university, they had to have something behind them. So it would be kind of mid to late 20s was youngest, all the way up to 60s, you know, people retired were on the course, and everything in between. And that was deliberate. That was about getting diverse perspectives. It was about people from all over the world, and even though we were conscious we didn't really want loads of people flying from Australia, we did also think that when they said to us, there is no other program in the world like this, so I'm yeah. going to fly, we kind of said, well, yeah, that's right. So, so make sure you learn enough to kind of make a real impact back home. Uh, so we had people from all over the world, different ages. We had people from every sector, so we had commercial, you know, large multinational, we had startups, we had entrepreneurs, we had public sector, we had teachers, artists, therapists, you know, every right. different yes. type of person. Yeah. And, and so, what, what did these people have in common? Because the diversity was great. All of them, in some way, were asking themselves, how do I take this? Is how I would say it, Dan. You, you know, mm-hmm. you, I'd be interested if you agree. But the, th- the thing I loved and these are the people I serve, and these are the people I love to work with, I yeah, absolutely love to work with still, um, was, it doesn't matter what level I'm at, what age I'm at, what sector I'm at, now is the time for me to, ins- to find some way of connecting what I'm doing in the world with the stuff I really, really care about. And for the people who came on the, that course, the caring was always in some way to do with the ecological social justice, you know, ecological justice. It was Mm. about transforming the world for the better. Um, And so it was incredibly creative. And I guess a few things that I think created the alchemy, um, because again, this might be relevant in terms of the times we're in, and it's certainly relevant to the work I'm doing now. And the the course was finished. It finished, I think Mm. about three years ago. Um, One is community. Many, many people, and it started to change as time went on. So it was more at the beginning, but I think all all the way through. Many people felt very alone with these questions. Mm. They felt like I'm the weirdo. You know, everyone else seems to be thinking everything's fine. And and somehow it used to be fine for me now. And it's not because I'm worried about this stuff. But I feel a bit weird. I feel a bit alienated. I feel a bit ashamed of this stuff. Mm. you know and so it was a place where we could say actually two things one is you're not alone and that was incredibly powerful Um, and I think you know you'll agree so much of what people got was that camaraderie of just fellow Mm. travelers Um, and then the second thing was um, and we did this in, in various ways not only are you not alone but your experience, which many people start with, of I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling maybe a bit depressed, I'm feeling lost, I'm feeling very worried about the world, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't joyful stuff mm. to start with. You help people reframe it and go, well, great, because this is a step on a journey which not only the world needs, but which millions and I would say now hundreds of millions of people are on. Mm. So not, uh, not only are you not alone, but this painful experience you might be having as certain things unravel is part of a much bigger story. And mm. so I think that was very powerful for people. We didn't just tell them that. Of course, they'd sure. have speakers in and they'd talk with each other. Um, and then the other thing, which um, in the end, I think people loved. Again, it, they had to unlearn. It's a, a great phrase that you use. Is we said, oh, and by the way, we don't have any answers. (laughs) We we don't know. These (laughs) questions are so big and so systemic, so interrelated and so complex that anyone who thinks they've got the answer, you know, you'd be suspicious and you can't even know the answer. So you have to kind of live the answer as a kind of continual creative conscious kind of research or experiment yeah. that's when you said inquiry. and that right. takes people some time to get their heads round and you know we did have people come is sometimes in real distress about the state yeah, of the so world so i'm just remembering year two so
1: what is this inquiry thing yeah
0: you know people <laughs> it, it took two years but that's why it was a two-year yeah. part-time course yeah. um yeah. but if i strip out the elements you know the course is finished but the elements i think that are still so valuable now is is helping people realise you're not alone. It's changing. I mean, things things like Extinction Rebellion, I personally think one of the most powerful things about Extinction Rebellion, and there are, for me, positive and negative things about that Mm. movement, but it was a sudden sign that, oh my God, there's lots of people who think like this, and that's very powerful for people. So you're not alone, and then to locate what you're going through as part of a bigger story that, yes, it's very personal, it's about you and your life and your choices... But it's also about something totally transpersonal, something beyond you, the spirit of our times or awakening mm. global consciousness. I find I use those sorts of ideas and practices a lot in my own work. I find they're so powerful at, at helping us move past our, you know, fear or whatever. And then Anything? to realize you'll yeah. never have the answer anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, right. what, 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 you know, once people kind of got that, they started to. Just Have a wonderful time, really, but it takes some getting,
1: <laughs> and, that, and and that's and and that whole you know, it's funny. I was uh talking about this and writing about this, this a lot at the moment about you know about not knowing, yeah, and and again, like in these times and these moments, about this yeah. feels like we're again, you know, sort of this this reveal that's occurred through the pandemic because it feels like it's sort of like lifted, it's almost like it feels like it's done, you know, it's lifted the lid to. For, for a huge amount of people that weren't seeing, weren't seeing this mess maybe, weren't weren't able to see the suffering and the inequalities and the destruction maybe as clearly as others were. Mm. But it's almost like this pandemic has sort of done a big reveal. Um, and and then, so therefore it's like, as we move into this, you know, you can feel the sort of shouts of the, you know, let's turn the economy back on. Exactly. let um, yeah, you know, but it's almost like one of the things I've been really exploring is: it, is it actually the not knowing that's the biggest crisis? The fact that we're so scared of not knowing, like of you know the sort of fear of the fear, really of sort of thinking, well, if not what it was before, then what? Do you know yeah. what I mean? And because yeah. because we've been sort of trained up through the system to pretend we know, <laughs> you know that we that it's that you can have certainty, and that sort of you know at least. A, my sense the sort of illusion of that of that idea and so now if you've been you know if you've been sort of practicing not knowing then you're able to yeah it takes time but you're able then to sort of live with with some joy with that as well as as the fear of it do you know what I mean and uh, so that's it's so interesting and it's just as you're just talking as well just making me think about you know why that you know you talked earlier on about you know when you were younger about being able to you know wanting to wanting to ask the bigger questions wanting yeah. to explore those questions and then uh, feeling like you're on the edges or you're you know the weirdo or you know able to bring those questions into and then obviously through that program again the sense of community where you're able to to explore that and it's just interesting because those are those are sort of they feel like just practices right that you think well you know, what would it be like if if we are able to ask those bigger questions yeah, yeah. from a young age and not yeah. be afraid or be lo- you know what I mean or made totally. to feel weird and what if we did have a community around us that were willing to sort of hold us while we ask those questions um, well, that, so, That's so
0: yeah that's the model you know that's surely one element of the society we want to be creating mm-hmm. and and you know i'm I'm certain that other human cultures at different places and times in history have been much more centred on that, really. Mm. You know, there have been, they may have only been pockets at different times, but I'm certain there have been cultures that have had spiritual questions very much more at their heart. Again, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm I, quite involved in a Tibetan Buddhist approach. I'm not overly romantic about it. The mm. Tibetan Buddhist system, you know, by the by the time the Chinese invaders had had many problems, kind of institutional, it had become big institutions, there were issues. But fundamentally, that was a culture that was much, much closer to having at the centre of the culture questions about, yeah, you know, what is it to be awake? What is it to be fully human? Um, and there have been other cultures, and I'm sure many indigenous cultures have had their own versions of that. Um, mm. So... I think it's it's possible. Oh, uh, well, I think it's absolutely possible, and I think it you know it will happen. And you know, I just think one of the questions is just to notice what is at the centre of this culture, right? It's not that; it's something else, and we can talk mm. about what that is. Mm. Uh, and maybe, um, I mean, this is one of the ideas I use in my work around. Uh, it actually, comes from the idea of Buddhist mandalas, which are these sort of geometric forms and. And what's at the center kind of radiates out and determines a whole a whole world, if you like. In, in a way you could say it's a bit like Eastern systems thinking. So the question of what's at the center is actually a very good question to ask. And you know, one could ask it of one's own life. What what am I really putting at the center? You know, not what I say, but if I look at my how I spend my time. What's at the centre? Because that is kind of creating your world. Um, you could talk about it at this conversation, you know, what are we putting at the center of our conversation? Mm. Um, but if you look at if you look at what's going on in the world, well, we, we've put a few ideas, you know, fairly shoddy ideas. Maybe they were useful at a certain point. Maybe one or two of them were useful after the Second World War or after the First World War, or you know, about counting certain things and making certain numbers bigger. And we put you put a few numbers at the at the centre, and everything else kind of clusters around that. And before you know it, here you go, you've got industrial growth society. And it does what it's intended to do very well. It's just there's a whole load of concerns and questions that just get shoved to the edge. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea of what, what could a future society or a more integrated society look like. And it would, it would absolutely have that. The school system would be different. Mm. You know, you wouldn't be having politicians and policymakers say, well, the purpose of the school system is to create a workforce. They would be saying the purpose of education is to create, you know, integrated, healthy, wise, compassionate human beings. Well, you put that in the centre and everything would start to reconfigure. So this is what we need to do, Dan. (laughs) I know. I mean, it's it's, it's so... uh, I love the words. Let's make it so.
1: (laughs) I know. It's it's so interesting. I was listening to... I can't remember what it was... um, uh, very smart uh, Israeli man, Yuval um, Hurry Sapiens, yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, being interviewed last week, and he was just saying again, this, what he was just getting to is like, you know, what's the purpose? He says, let's stop talking about economies, but what is it? What's yeah. it? You know, what is it? What's the purpose of it all? <laughs> what, where are we going? What matters? You know. Yeah. And until you. I think, you, like you say, until we have that. At the moment, like the the you know the the, the, the narratives, you know, it's just let's let's get the economy going again. Let's get let's crank up the engines. Let's like um, let's get back to work. And it's like for what? And then and then I guess it's coming on to you know. everyone says money. You know, mm. um, well we all need money. You know, mm. yeah. um, and uh, you know, I know that this is. A really big part of of your work, mm-hmm. and um, it's something which you know it. it there's it's all, yeah. What it feels at least in my inquiring into all of this, mm-hmm. a lot of the sort of you know, some of the sort of gifting, generosity stuff that I've been exploring with you know, with good for nothing for the last mm-hmm. 10 years, but yeah, you know, but 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 we're always you know, we whatever we get to right now, it's like most people's problems, you speak to anyone, you know, within one or two questions, we usually, we hit money, do you yeah. know what I mean? Or we yeah, hit yeah, this, really. this has happened and I can't do this because of that and then suddenly it's money and then everything, you know, we're, we're in this paradigm of, of money um, where everything seems to be and and so on one hand it's almost like it's almost impossible for people to see that there can be any other way. Mm-hmm. And yet, as I know, you know what you've been exploring. There's mm. a, there's obviously a lot more going on, right, mm. around 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 this idea. And I would lo- I'd love to sort of get into the money thing, right? mm. but I wonder, just you know, because I, yeah, just like, and it's reminding me a bit of, and in fact, it was you that introduced this into uh, at least my experience of, of when I was going through the master project with Peter Coney. Mm-hmm. And that, that money workshop,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which sort of, like, blew everyone's minds. Mm-hmm.
0: So, I don't know, just – should we – can we talk about the money? Yeah. It was quite, no, <laughs> it was quite it's important. Definitely. Let's talk about money. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I think you actually described it really well, that it kind of – if you're paying attention and you start to ask these questions about, you know, how would we want society to be or what would I really like at the centre of my life or – you know, what would be the creative leap I could imagine, you know, in some area? If you pay attention, very often the reason somehow we've, we don't do it or we feel we can't do it or we postpone it, we delay it, we filter it, we dumb it. You know, the reason somehow so many of us, and I include myself, have a feeling we can't just fully follow this flow of, I would say, the flow of life. When you look, it's often to do with money. Um, And so this is very, very interesting. And so I do think, you know, having been a politician, you mentioned that I I was for a while an elected (laughs) politician and I've been an activist and I've been an educator. I've come to think that helping people and groups go deep with an awareness of money and how it tangles up their life energy is one of the most radical political things that I've ever done. Um, I'm not saying it's the only way. I mean, I absolutely believe you always need all sorts of approaches. But Mm. I do think that to the extent that this thing about money isn't in the conversation of activists or people who want to change the world, something very, very powerful and highly charged is just missing from the conversation. Um so how I got into it well you know on the masters program that we're talking about um there was uh the second week was looking at new economics and why was it the second week looking at new economics well the first week was hello ladies and gentlemen welcome to the course here's the state of the planet and people left sort of you know they'd had a wonderful week meeting kindred (laughs) spirits who were all now as totally depressed as each other it wasn't quite that bad but you know it's not good when you spend a week really considering the state of the planet uh, ecologically um, you know um, in terms of social justice and development it's it's not pretty oh yeah Um, if you're not if you're not uh, if you're not
1: in fear then then you're not listening
0: Well, something, yeah, something like that, for sure. Stefan Harding at Schumacher College, I'm sure you heard him say this, he he used to present the state of the planet and say to people, and if you're not depressed at this point, you need to see a psychiatrist. (laughs) Um, You know, and actually we're we're joking, but it's important because as one stage, and it's not the stage to stay at, and it's not the only stage, and it's certainly not the only truth, right? But as one stage, if we avoid fear and, sadness and grief at what's going on it's hard it's actually hard to find um your position to take some action um so as long as long as that's not the whole truth but I think we do need to engage with that stuff for sure and anyway it's an
1: acceptance isn't it it's like an acceptance of it in order to be able to sort of you know move through it
0: yeah maybe it's always I mean we could have a whole conversation about that as well right um I think I think if you're if you're part of the world sad things happen in the world, you're going to feel sadness, right? It's not Mm -hmm. the whole of it, but that's just going to be part of it. Um, Anyway. Week two. Week two, (laughs) the question was, well, why are we doing this? Why is it we've set up amazing systems that are creating this stuff? And the answer was something to do with, well, what are we chasing? What's at the center? It's kind of numbers, and numbers are wrapped up in money. It's economic growth. So we used to have this wonderful week of trying to understand what was driving ideas of economic growth and what alternative ideas were out there about doing money differently, different ways of measuring success, different ways of measuring GDP, etc. We had some wonderful people in. But it was only when I found the work of this guy Peter Koenig, he's the only person I've met, who says, yeah, well, that's all very well, we need that stuff, but if we don't understand, this is my terminology now, but how the money system is inside us, you know, Foucault would say it's like a a biopower, it's like it's in us, these different pulls and tensions and the way we police ourselves. And if we don't understand, Peter would say, the unconscious um, kind of material around money that does impede our life energy... Then, even if we have the best idea in the world about transforming the finance system, sooner or later, humans will find a way to turn that brilliant idea into another kind of unfair, unkind system because we're acting out of consciousness when it comes to money. that's the basic idea. so I trained with him he's He's a remarkable guy, um you know still going strong he's now he's now worked with tens of thousands of people on this work, and I've been running his work for you know on and off actually for sort of 10-15 years and I'm doing increasing amounts of it and what the money work does is it, it again it helps you really investigate what is your story of money because one of the things we say is money is a great taboo um, as you as you say most people will talk about money very quickly and they'll talk about it as if it's just kind of self-evident or I, I wish I could do that but I can't because I haven't got the money or we yeah, of course I'd love to do this but you know who's going to pay the bills and we say these things or we think these things all the time. But we never really go further and look at what's going on there. What are the emotions? What are the beliefs? What is it that I'm convinced is true about the world? And what's kind of sitting underneath it? So that's kind of what we do with the money work. Um, and we sort of have two stages of the money work. One is just increasing awareness. So people get very interested in yeah where where did my stories come from? We look at people's mm. family history, we look at current patterns. we play games with money, all different ways of being a detective and starting to inquire, oh, yeah, you know, I thought this was normal, but now I realize this is my money pattern. and then we go deeper and we we find what's what kind of unconscious um beliefs you might say are holding that in place and then you can actually free them up. So the aim of the money work, and it's really important to be clear, Hmm. the money work is not to get more money. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I always say that um, and that's why there's probably many more courses that will sell much more easily because if you say, come on this workshop and you'll get loads of money. Yeah. um, But the point is the money workshop is in service of life. The money workshop is work out your money work work out your money kind of awareness so that whether you have more money or less money or the same money or whatever's going on around money, you will feel more and more free and able to follow the flow of life. And for me, that is very political. As well, you know, it's lovely work for people. It supports their growth and development. But again, coming back to the bigger picture, it's exactly what you said. I think now we're living at a time where possibly the majority of people if you look at um, sort of demographic evidence and and world value studies, I think we're at a phase where, certainly in countries like the UK, possibly a majority or certainly a sizable minority absolutely would argue we need a profound shift. We need a shift in the way everything works, work works, and more and more people are up for it, but then money. And people, it taps into insecurity, fear, a whole load of stuff. Well, if you can free people up to realize that a lot of that stuff is more of an unconscious story that we're just holding on to and is not actually about how life itself works. And by the way, not only is it not how life works, but there is this huge uh, moment and movement going on with people starting to free themselves up. Uh, You can tell I get excited about it. I think it is one of the keys for people kind of taking individual action which then becomes collective action and you know possibly things like uh, pandemic might support that but they might not that's the thing it might yeah. create more insecurity or it might create more possibility and we don't know the, the the question is well what would one do to try and maximize the chance that it creates more yeah. freedom what would you it's do? interesting that it's yeah. so
1: interesting that isn't it on and uh, bringing you into this time because my sense of yeah obviously there's you know, there's some people obviously immediately, you know, the economics of it and the the very real situation yeah. of, of of money not drying up or, you know, not being there, of course that can lead you into huge distress. Of and course, yeah. Suffering. Yeah. But on the flip side there's I guess there's this other thing that's going on for some people, for myself included actually, just the reality of like mm-hmm. well there's also like sort of figuring out how much you can do mm-hmm. How much more you can do than you thought you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, so your sort of dependence on things and mm-hmm. <laughs> behaviors and things that you do and things you pay money for, which you realize you just don't need to be doing, you can actually cope with a lot of that. The money you just like working, I was looking, I was just looking at like what I've saved on travel <laughs> the last yeah. couple yeah. of months, I've just gone, that's insane. And I'm, I'm, I'm a very, you know, I'm a quite a distributed worker, you know, I work for myself, I don't. I don't always go to, into a place, but I'm still spending a lot of money on trains. a lot of money like... Well, track trains are
0: very expensive in this country. Coffees, well. and, coffees <laughs> and
1: sandwiches and all no, these I things. Know, no, you, no, I know what you mean. And you start going, yeah. this is nuts. And then you go, but then the story is, well, that supports the economy. You're like, hold on a minute. What is going on here? And um, I'd love to know more about, are there things that you, like the types of breakthroughs that... that you mm. see people having in this? Mm. Or can you talk yeah,
0: about no, about I, I or? can. Um, I mean, I can share some. It's uh, you know, I'm not particularly plugging it, but it is very experiential. So I can share stories and there is something about the, the visceral experience that's key. Before I do that, and I will do that, I also wanted to say mm. something about the, the pandemic thing, mm. because I think what's starting to happen, a lot of the shifts are at the, the semi-conscious level what do I mean? That, yeah, people are, you know, many people are struggling and insecure and worried. And, you know, that's important um, at, at the level of what Arnie Mindell, who's a psychologist who I'm totally into at the moment and training mm. in his approach. You know, it's like you have to pay attention to what he calls consensus reality, right? You know, if the numbers mm. are down, if, if uh, that there's not food on the table, this is very real and needs to be addressed and acknowledged and respected. Mm. And there's always a deeper level which he calls the dreaming you know where there's other things moving as well and in his work there's in fact he also talks about a third the, the essence level but the idea and this is why i like it as an approach for working with people and society you have to acknowledge and respect all levels so if we said this is only about how do we how do we recover from a 14% economic you know growth a d- decrease in GDP or whatever, How do we? if we only fixate on numbers or how mm-hmm. many pieces of protective equipment do we have, we're just talking about consensus reality. We're not paying attention to some of the more subtle movements. Mm-hmm. But also if we only pay attention to subtle movements, well, you know, that's very privileged because there are people with real, you know, who don't have protective equipment or don't have food on the table. But if you can relate the two, then I think you get more of a sense of what's possible so that the reason i say that is because i think some of what's going on for everybody is ah whose work is important you know it's interesting that the most of the people who are key workers most of them are not well paid they are the van drivers you know the shop assistants the nurses the care home people whereas the 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 mega rich bankers i mean they are carrying on working but Society, I think, is starting to realise what is really important. What do we yeah. really? So, I think that's an important shift, you know. It's, it's fascinating. I, I, I wrote, I just wrote
1: about this last week. I wrote yeah. a very long, rambling uh, sort of bunch of reflections on yeah. media about what this stuff was throwing up, and yeah. and even just three through, through talking to peers and networks, you know, just you know, and you, through these WhatsApp groups that you end up being in, and you just think, I've definitely sensed there's a lot of people in did lots of people you know inverted commas doing professional things who've had a lot you know i would regard anyone that's been able to any, anyone who's been able to be locked down at home for the last few weeks is you know it's privileged right and mm. myself included like mm. we if you're not you know if you haven't had to really go out mm. you've effectively what you know i know it's been a struggle and all this but but ultimately you know a huge amount of people haven't had any of that they've been out keeping the country you know functioning and, 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 yeah, so this idea of like this time, probably the reveal of like what is it that we are all doing mm. with this time, with mm. our sort of busyness. And, and like you say, you know, what, what, what we financially value in terms of what people do and what we see as, you know, as more rewarding of money and, you know, Esteem and all these other things i mean it's fascinating all this stuff that's being shaken up so i i I, to what you're just saying how how do how how yeah i mean how this stuff gets surfaced and you know what i mean and actually kind of recognized this feels like the big the big thing because again the the urge is just to get the machine going fast
0: yeah and and that is very strong and it is probably what will happen on on the consensus reality, you know, on the practical level, but, but other things are... A oh, the picnics
1: and rambles and stuff.
0: Anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, who can say, you know, I couldn't say what's happening, but there's lots of, of shifts and stuff. Um, I mean, one of the things I think, because you asked about examples about the workshop, yes. I think one of the most powerful things in the workshop, and, and again, I just want to emphasise that by saying it, that's, I mean, hopefully that's interesting and helpful for people, but it is something that people can have a visceral an embodied experience of and that's Mm. where that's where the juice is um so the interest the most interesting thing for me about the money workshop is it ends up being kind of body work or energy work um which people wouldn't expect and it makes sense to me more and more i mean this is the thing actually that i'm really this is the edge of what i'm researching at the moment Um, yeah we use words in the money workshop and we talk about different kind of views of how things might work a, a kind of an industrial view or an ecological view or you know many of the sorts of ideas you'll have read in people like charles eisenstein <clears throat> but the shift happens at what i could only call a, a body or an energetic level and that to me is totally fascinating and so i think the way i describe this in different ways it, but one way to think about it is our money story is a conceptual story. You know, money is a human creation. It hasn't always been around. Life existed for billions of years before there was money, right? Um, so money is a construction. It's a human creation. We made it. And it only keeps behaving itself or, or, or behaving in any sort of, you know, um, predictable way. Because we keep believing in it in the same way, we share a set of uh, ideas and assumptions, more or less, about money. Now that's very, very powerful, you know. So when a number goes down on a graph, maybe millions of people go, ah! and and maybe then because we all go, ah! um, we do certain things, and it creates problems in the world. But the, the point is that ultimately, yeah. money and everything around it is a human. Conceptual construction, or let, let's at least suggest that, um, that there yeah, may be more to it than that. Whereas, life, although we might talk about life, or we might have theories about life, but life exists without humans to kind of think about it, right? In other words, there is an underlying, what could you say, pattern of organization, flow, you know, of life. Mm. And so, fundamentally, what I think the workshop does is it helps people to decouple money and life. And again, if you remember the story I said right at the beginning, um, so often we say, well, I, you know, I'd love to do this brackets, in my life or my, in my life purpose or my soul or my vocation. There's some tug or pull of flow that the deeper part of us wishes to follow. And I would say that is the intelligence of life that's not just a human construction, it's not just a story, there's something much vaster and deeper going on there. And then we go, Oh, yeah, but I can't because of money. So I think in us, we play this often a tension, and I'd like to say a dance, but I think for most of us, it's more of a battle between the money story and the life path, if you like. Um, I hope this makes sense so far, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lovely. and so. But the problem is because it's not conscious, we just think this is how it is. And we somehow give money the same gravitas or the same sense of reality um, and weight as life. But if you just look at the history of humanity, the history of the planet, if you look at your own life, you know, you came into life with no money, Dan. You know, (laughs) you did. And you might say, well, my parents had money, you know, but not everyone's parents. You know, life is created, life happens. And life moves and evolves and flows. And actually, when you look, it's very, very much less to do with this thing that we created that we call money than we imagine. And so part Mm -hmm. of it is to help people sort of decouple those things. That's the first step. Um, And again, I think in terms of what's going on in, in the world at the moment, who are the people that we're valuing? It's not about the people paid. It's the ones who are preserving life creating food creating connection who are i would say who are somehow supporting vitality and life and mm-hmm. other people who may be on megabucks but whose work does not necessarily support life we suddenly realize, right well they're not so so vital you know and i'm not knocking it's not about rich or poor or you know all sure. sorts of professions are useful but there is a decoupling and what that tells us is you know one of the stories in our culture which is totally absurd but is in most of us is we you know many people believe even alternative people even people who are trying to you know do things differently deep in us somewhere is actually if i'm successful or important i would have money and if i don't have money somehow this diminishes me and that might be because we connect money to ideas of worth or value or success or being powerful or you know a whole load of stuff right Mm -hmm. and that's partly personal And that may come in our personal process, maybe in our history, but it's also mirrored around us all the time. Mm. The point is, as long as we believe that that's true, it will be much... Let's say, for example, I have in me a a very common unconscious belief that money represents success and uh, my worth. Right? It's very common. If I'm not conscious of that, It's very likely to lead me into choices where, let's say, I stay with a job that doesn't satisfy my soul, that isn't the direction that my life wants to flow. I mean, if I'm lucky, then maybe that is. But for many people, it's not. But I do Mm. it because it gives me money. Because although I I say, well, of course, I need money. But deep down, unconsciously, I believe if I let go of money, I have no worth and I'm a Mm. failure simultaneously if i if i share that same unconscious projection and i'm not aware of it you know i might sit thinking wow what i really want to do is this i want to set up this project or i want to just grow more vegetables or it could be anything it could be big or mm-hmm. small but my life is flowing in a direction um but let's say because of how consensus reality works right now and because of the agreements we've made more or less right now, you know, to choose to go from being a banker to a, I don't know what, shiatsu therapist, let's say, well, my money flow would diminish. Um, well, life might want me to do that right now. That might be my place to serve. But if I believe that with less money I have less worth and I'm a failure, it would be hard for me to take that step. So I guess behind the work is helping people, first of all, to decouple. Money is not life. It really isn't. Secondly, and this comes back to what do you choose to place at the centre of your life? Or what will we choose to place at the centre collectively of our society? If we choose to put a number, a money number at the centre, then that will create a set of mass behaviours. And we will try and maximise the money number, but we will be diminishing life we might say vitality health soul ecology mm-hmm. if we realize that money is kind of a story and at best needs to serve life we might say what really is a life giving set of principles to put at the center you know how would you like to create a life for a society and you might say well i don't know health or beauty or wisdom or yeah you know, could be different things and then you realize that if you step in that direction, you might have more money, it's possible. You might have the same money, you might have less. But none of that actually makes you you know, less powerful or less successful. That's just kind of nonsense. Mm. Um, and so the money work is about helping people do that work and, and experience at quite a deep level um, how they might do that. And the reason I say it's body work is it's more and more my belief that the, we have a natural, we have a natural intelligence, which I would say is about following life. You know, people have different words. So you might say life, or flow, or innate wisdom. You know, I don't mind the the language. Yeah. But we have it, and it is more in in our in our bodies. Um, and then we have ideas and stories about how things should be or how they work, and that's more. I'm being simplistic, but that's more of the head. Of and it always yeah. interests me that when we talk about capitalism and when business people talk about capital, they usually kind of mean money. And that comes from the word capita meaning the head. Mm. Um, so there's something about money that exists much more as a thought. And if we're, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing bad about money. But if we're just following unconscious thoughts about money, we we ignore kind of... This much vaster intelligence. So, yeah, I've gone off on one there a bit, Dan, but I hope, I hope that gives a flavour of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I no, love. No. You can tell I love the work. I love it. No, the-
1: I do. I, it's it's fascinating. I mean, I've been doing a, a project in the last few months, well, the end of last year, with two um, networks for economic transition: the Wellbeing Economy Alliance and the Green Economy Coalition, which is yeah, you know, actually, they're working towards you know, you know economies that are sort of grounded in. You know ecological limits and human well-being right you know as sort of yeah and and you know there's a there's this you know working with this this phrase an economy and service to life you know, right to all life yeah and 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 figuring out how you know how do you yeah exactly you know how do you shift the stories that we hold true about economies yeah. and our belief systems which again they're just a series of beliefs that were constructed yeah <laughs> and so you know and and obviously the the money piece is a Is a huge one. It's what when we think of economy, most people think of money. That's what it's been. That's what it's become. But actually, you know, it's it's, that's just an idea.
0: Well, exactly. (laughs) But it's
1: such a powerful. um, It's so powerful. Yeah, and it's just it's making me think. Right, right now, then, uh, with you know, again, in this in this moment with these these reveals that are going on, which you know, you've talked really um, talked to specifically in this situation, so much has been revealed about those who are, you know, keeping our society alive, whether it's through healthcare or food or transportation or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. Um, all these extraordinary people that in monetary, in today's monetary terms, are probably the, have the, the worst deal. Um, and then, And then obviously, you know, there will be a lot of people who have had huge time to reflect over these weeks who, in monetary terms, have, have been doing very well, <laughs> um, and, and questioning, obviously, a the, the the value, I guess, of all this this massive disparity, but maybe also, at least I'm sensing, you know, lots of people are questioning some of these questions that you explore with your money well, What what is it? You know, why am I? Committed to the money piece, you know what is it that I'm doing? I'm, I'm yeah. I've lost touch with who I am, my life, yeah, that's my right. family, my yeah. you know, my community, the planet, uh, you know, all of these things that have been sacrificed, yeah, uh, or maybe not even ever noticed in some cases um, because of this, this drive, this sort of link between money and identity and self worth, or I don't know. Well, it um, could be
0: many things. I mean, in the, what yeah. we say in the money work. Is that we you can tangle almost anything, any um, human quality up with money, right? Hmm. Um, so I was giving a simple example. So I'm not saying it's the same for everybody. This is what makes the work so lovely. Yes. So for you, I, I, I don't know. You know, you may unconsciously very much associate money with success, and that will tangle you up in certain ways. Someone else, it might be much more about money represents freedom, right? Um, Mm. someone else, it might be negative. I mean, I'm very fascinated. We haven't really got onto shadow stuff particularly. Um, but I work a lot with people who are changing the world, you know, who are, well, I, I don't want to say it that way, who are, uh, pioneers who are trying to pioneer new approaches. Now, often they have money and resource issues. And when you dig a little bit, you realize they think money is horrible or dirty or people who have money are greedy bastards. Uh, But that's equally an unhelpful, unconscious idea, Mm. because if unconsciously I think I'm one of the righteous and people who have money are dirty, greedy bastards and they're the problem, which, by the way, a lot of activists I work with do have that sort of idea, then what will I do when it comes to money? If it's unconscious, I don't want to be around money. I don't really want to have money come to me. And I will find it very hard to take choices in service of my life or my project that might actually bring money. And I'm convinced this is why so many very well-meaning groups are chronically under-resourced. Um, it's not that their fleet of foot and funky. I mean, I know Good for Nothing, for example, is, is very different because you had a different model. But many kind of charities and alternative groups are actually more fixated on money than some big businesses because they're so in some way so unconsciously against money um so again i'm simplifying a bit but the point is we could have negative or positive unconscious associations with money and either of those will drive different behaviors uh the more we become conscious of it and you know as you speak i think you're right people are questioning now but what i love what i love about the money work i think there is like a a bit of a missing piece or an extra piece in the puzzle, because if we go back to where we started, you know, many of us do have kind of visions of a different world or a different way of being, and, and we take steps in that direction, but often we are pulled, we're pulled back, and the stuff that pulls us back seems very familiar. Do you know what I mean? It feels like, oh, yeah, it's this again, or the world is this way, and I think, I think the possibility of, at that point, being really interested you go, oh, here I am again, I haven't quite made this step, or whatever it is, be really interested so, so what is my belief here about money or lack of money or this step? Uh, and can I, can I play with it and disentangle it a little bit? I don't know if that makes sense, Dan, but um, I hope mm, it does. Tells-
1: it does. And, uh, you know, if for folks that are interested, I mean, you, you, you have sort of, various forms of this work that you offer out, right? Yeah, um, yeah.
0: So I, um, I mean most usually I do it in a two-day workshop and I still think that's the best way to be introduced to it because there is so much learning when you hear other people share their money stories because mm-hmm. one of the things is we all think what we do with money is normal and that's what makes it a taboo. We don't realise that you've got, you've got your quirky way of doing money. You know, you've got the things mm-hmm. you do, the things you don't. It's like your little kinks, your money kinks. Um, and we all got them and we all just think that's normal. And when you're in a group of people, and it's a beautiful space, it's very safe, it's very funny, you know, but you learn so much from hearing other people's stories. Um, I mean, I could give one quick example if, if that's helpful or if we have time yeah. I've actually I've written this up on my website because it was such a nice story. You get such unique stories, and we, and we have had every sort of person comes on the workshop. Um, but one story that really struck me was at a workshop. It was it, it was um, you know people take time to kind of do deep dives when they're ready. And one woman spoke up, and she actually spoke very very powerfully. She had a very strong voice, a very strong presence. You know, she was very powerful, which is funny. And in her story, we, we explore, you know, current situation and history. And, and effectively, this woman had been in a reasonably well-paid job and had followed more her heart to do a kind of an art, art type project and had very little money coming into her life. And she felt this really was diminishing her. And she felt powerless. This was her word, right? She felt powerless because she had no money. She felt really kind of smaller, diminished and powerless. And of course, the the kind of irony was the way she spoke was incredibly powerful. She had such presence. But in her belief system, money equals power. She had no money. She felt she had no power. So that's the detective work. The next step, the kind of integration work is we have to help her see. And I won't get into exactly how we do this, but but it is a kind of embodied experience that her power is nothing to do with a number just like that's true for everybody it can't be you know our human power agency creativity but for her it makes no sense that it's connected to a number so she really got that she really got that and you can see she looked people changed their faces changed they relax she looked amazing and i thought well that you know lovely that's great who's next and then a woman, a little bit next to her, like a few seats down, spoke up in a very, very quiet voice. And we could hardly hear what she was saying. And she said something like, I, I, I paraphrased, she said something like, I own six houses and half a yacht. And I said, sorry, I, d- I don't think I didn't quite hear And then she kind of got stronger. As she spoke, she got stronger. And basically, she shared her story because she'd resonated with this other woman. And they were polar opposites in their financial situations. Uh, The woman who spoke second, she had a very well-paid job. She was actually working in some area of kind of finance. Um, She was very competent, well-paid. She had been very clever with her investments, so she and her husband had a property business that they were running that was bringing in, as I recall, a six-figure rental income. Uh, You know, they didn't really need to work. Uh, Certainly she didn't need to work full-time. But what she said is, I realise that although I've got all of this, I too feel powerless. Hmm. And she'd realized it because of the generosity and the power of the first woman. (laughs) And the first woman, money was power. She didn't have it, so she felt powerless. The second woman was money was power. And she didn't experience herself as powerful. And we went into reasons why and things from her past. So her way of trying to deal with that was to, through her whole life, and she suddenly saw it make choice after choice to maximise money because she believed with money I will find power, I will feel powerful. Hmm. But feeling powerful is a, is a embodied human experience. It's nothing to do with a number. And so she'd just seen this and she'd realised that all of this accumulation, um, you know, and it was good in many ways. She'd been very successful. It had not in any way given her what she was really looking for. So again, we did the same piece of work with a woman in a completely different financial. So again, the consensus reality, the numbers, the property, completely different. At the deeper level, both of them, for whatever reason, uh, and we're all like this in different degrees with different things, they were not fully in touch with their intrinsic human power, and because that's a difficult and painful place to be, uh, they'd... Projected the idea of that power onto money. So, if I had money or when I have money, then I will reclaim my power. I will feel powerful. But that never happens because we're always then chasing something out Mm. there. So, both of them then left that workshop being more powerful, whether they had money or not. Now, the funny thing is, um, the woman who, the first woman, uh, emailed me, I think it was just like three weeks later, so she'd just been offered a job for more money than she'd ever had before. Now money money isn't the point, so that may, you know, to be honest I don't care about the money, I care is that Mm -hmm. serving your life? So I'm not saying it was, but it was interesting and the second woman um, started to do what she'd always wanted to do, she bought a camper van, she started to get much more into yoga, she was still working but I think she went three days, four days, so you know the actual outer changes are relatively small initially for most people, but both of those women I hope, go out into the world feeling that they are powerful and and losing the kind of bullshit idea that their power and their possibility of expressing power in the world is anything to do with a number. And I think that's the political thing, right? Mm. That's the political thing. Because if you look at disadvantaged communities, if you look at people losing jobs, again, on consensus reality, this is important stuff. We need to take care of people. But fundamentally, does it make you less powerful, less creative, less free? Not at the deepest level, not at the level of who we really are. And I think if 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 enough of us or many of us, regardless of the numbers we have in our life, if enough of us could start to really get that sense as, oh, wow, I am actually free, powerful, creative. Oh, and by the way, we're all human. We're constrained and also lack power, you know. You have to have both of these in your life right it's not one-sided mm. but um i think i think there's something very exciting that could happen as one as one piece of this thing that your podcast is is exploring and you can probably mm. tell whenever i talk about it i just get really excited because it's lovely it's, it's really, lovely to it's be part really, of it, it it's, really is. it's lovely to hear and to
1: yeah. listen and thank you for sharing it's a
0: pleasure and thank you to the two ladies I mean I always say to people I you know I don't share anything that could ever be attributed but they were both incredibly generous and that's the other thing you see about this work is anytime someone steps across into that taboo saying here's how it is for me you know always Mm. feels a bit edgy um, but it's incredibly generous because they're always helping the people in the in the group so
1: yeah yeah, I, I mean, I, I know we've got a time thing, but it does just, yeah, it sort of, sort of almost goes back to where we started from, mm. about, you know, community, ability to sort of <laughs> inquire more deeply, <laughs> to show our vulnerabilities yeah. and our questions. and
0: Yeah, and that we're uh, not alone. Right. We're not alone, right. and that the things that we maybe at a certain point think, well, I'm just weird and slightly ashamed often can be... Um, tremendous gifts and part of a much bigger story much bigger this yeah. is the thing i'm really yeah you know so how
1: can people find you your work what's coming up anything you want to share
0: uh well the best probably thing is my website which is www.differentspace.co.uk yeah. it's all one word I'll different there, I'll, space. Stick that, I'll stick that in the show notes and they can link in with me as well um, and I have a newsletter and stuff. I mean, I'm actually running an online money workshop, uh, but I don't know if your podcast will be out. It's May 21st, Let's so see. I'll give you a deadline. Then. <laughs> um, that's, that's an experiment. I was just invited by, again, someone who's, who's a friend and kind of a partner uh, who, who thought it would be really interesting to try again in the time of pandemic. So we're actually, I think mm. we're calling it money at a time of pandemic. And we will be looking at everything you and I have just been talking about. Brilliant. And then I normally have various uh, workshops that I run. And also, the other thing we didn't mention is I do do the work one-to-one with people or by invitation into groups and stuff. So sometimes people say, well, we really need to look at this as a team or I'd love to run one in my wherever I'm living. So I'm very open Mm. to that as well. Yeah,
1: Amazing thank you
0: tim no, it's been a pleasure um, it's been so nice to talk to you and i, I feel, i've got on my list like about 30 other things i'd love to talk with you again sometime so no, we we'll, we'll do that I,
1: I often ask this question at the end well i'm sort of interested you know in the sort of the sort of concepts of the spaceship earth i'm quite intrigued by this idea of sort of becoming crew That's on the on true. the spaceship earth what does that mean becoming becoming crew does it does it mean anything to you at this moment like what was that...
0: Yeah. Well, if I was say, so I love the spaceship Earth. So to be crew, what I, what I would say, what comes for me very strongly is, um, so to be crew on spaceship Earth, there, there really, really is a role for everybody. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to tell you your role. It's not like there's the captain who says, this is what you are. But there is a role for everybody. And something that's come to me strongly in this conversation is it's possible, you know, know that you have a role and you're part of something big and consider that the thing that you think is weirdest about you or that in some way you feel a a bit ashamed about or awkward about may be the seeds, we were talking about seeds, may have the seeds of what your most beautiful role as a crew member are going to be Um, and the more you try and fit in with what you think the story of the crew needs that's probably not going to be it so maybe i'm saying this to myself more than to anybody delight in your weirdness (laughs) and trust the things you're ashamed of and then you're a beautiful member of the crew of spaceship earth so i'd I'd love to be part of the the crew with you
1: I love that. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. Dial up your weirdness and uh, dance with it openly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it transforms. You see, weirdness is just a word. Weirdness is a label, right? Mm. And it's a slightly pejorative. It's slightly pejorative. So if we take away the word and the judgment, actually, we're talking about your absolute uniqueness. We're talking about your particular take and resonance with the world which is totally unique. We're talking about your sensitivity, you know, the way you just tune into things or how you think about things or whatever it is. So if we strip away the word, then we're thinking, ah, that's it. And it is going to need all of us to offer that on the spaceship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. It's been lovely. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, it was so really Yeah, And we'll... Um... We'll be
1: in touch. Dude,
0: let me know what's needed next. And, cool. um and, you know, I'd love to do another of these, but even if we don't, it's just so nice to talk with you. So let's. Yeah, well, no, we'll definitely do po- well, post,
1: uh, when well, we can start moving around again. Yeah, yeah. I shall head on over to Bristol. Beautiful. All right. Yeah. All right, Tim.
0: Thanks, Dan. Take-, Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tim Malnick. Um, So beautiful. The way Tim sees and senses and thinks um and yeah really really enjoyed that conversation so he did too to check out his work in the links below um do share this podcast if you're liking what you hear please share with others um give us a rating or a review on apple Podcasts or spotify or acast or whatever you listen on it all helps uh, other people find the podcast so um much appreciated if you want to um, get in touch please do dan at the spaceship earth or you can get me on instagram started up a new spaceship earth uh, uh, um channel there now so that is the the spaceship dot earth on instagram love to hear from you um and uh yeah anything you want to shout about or whatever please um please get in touch um so until next time take good care of yourself um look after those around you until next time peace and out